0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let us pray. Father, take these words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is a church in Kenya called the Legio Maria. It's a breakaway from the Roman Catholic Church. So if you go inside one of their worship services, you will find icons and incense, and it will look very much like a very high Roman Catholic Mass. But their church buildings are surrounded by a wall or a fence uh, and is a fairly large compound. And if you go into that compound during worship time, you will find lots of very charismatic things going on. Uh, lots of people wailing and weeping and demons being cast out of people and it doesn't look at all like what's going on inside the church. At the gate of the compound, there is a guy who meets everyone who comes to worship. Uh, He doesn't hand them a bulletin. Uh, he He is not like in a Church of the Ascension greeter. But rather, he stands at the door, and as each person comes to the door, he smells them. He sniffs them. This man is, in fact, the chief sniffer of the congregation because the Legio Maria believe that such people have a gift of discernment. They can identify evil spirits by smell. They believe that his nose knows. Now, why am I telling you about this rather unusual, at least by our standards, African instituted church. Well, before I tell you, uh, let's turn to our Old Testament passage from Isaiah 11. Like most Advent Old Testament lessons, this passage today is a messianic passage. It's a passage that looks forward to the coming king, the Messiah, the son of David. Isaiah's prophecy anticipates the coming of the one who will reverse the fortunes of Israel. Isaiah's book, written in the tumultuous 8th century B.C., does two, well, no, three things. First, Isaiah warns Israel of imminent disaster, that the global superpower of the day, Assyria, will soon uh, crush little Israel, and that Israel's defeat would be, in fact, God's judgment against Israel for their idolatry and immorality. Second, Isaiah promises that there will be a new day after Israel's exile. Israel has been unfaithful, but God is not unfaithful. God is faithful, and he will forgive. He will bring Israel back from exile, back to their own land. In a move similar to the book of Exodus, God will deliver Israel from bondage. But third, Isaiah's prophecy hints of not just a new day, a new political order for Israel, a second chance, as it were. Isaiah's prophecy points beyond a renewed hope for that one nation to something much, much greater. Isaiah promises a new world, a new creation. And that this new order would be brought to Israel and to the whole world by that messianic king. Isaiah gives us a part of this picture in chapter 11. Chapter 11, or at least what we read, can be divided easily into two parts. You might want to look at your bulletin or look it up in the Pew Bible. In the first five verses of Isaiah 11, Isaiah describes the Messiah himself. And in verses 6 to 10, Isaiah describes the coming kingdom which the Messiah will bring. So we start at the beginning. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The Messiah will come from Jesse. Now, Jesse, as careful Bible readers will know, is the father of David. And so the coming king, this one that Isaiah is talking about, will be from the Davidic line. He will be a Davidic king. But something very strange is happening in the meantime. And that is that Israel, that great forest, that great garden that God has planted... Is going to be wiped out. It is going to be cut down to the ground, down to the stumps of the tree. But from the stump of Jesse, from the roots that are growing invisibly underground, God will do a new thing. God will cause a resurrection. The roots which can't be seen but which are alive and who the one who uh, are alive because the one who planted it is faithful. From the roots will come a shoot and a branch and then fruit. Verse 2 tells us more about this coming one. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Verse 2 tells us that this Messiah, this coming one, this branch will be spirit-empowered. He will be endowed with all the gifts that a good, uh, a good ruler needs, wisdom and understanding. So not just understanding, not just information, but the ability to make right decisions Based on that information, the spirit of counsel and might. He will be able to make wise plans and he will have the authority and the power to carry them out. And knowledge and the fear of the Lord. All the gifts of wisdom and knowledge and authority are in the end worthless without knowledge and the fear of the Lord. But this ruler will have all of these things because the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Well, Isaiah goes on in verse 3 to talk about the decisions that this king makes and how he will not make decisions in the normal way. But there is a translation problem at the beginning of verse 3. I'm sorry to get so annoyingly... Uh, theological professorial on you. But let me start at the second part of verse 3. Isaiah tells us that he will not decide by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear. The way most decisions are made comes from our human ability to make sense of things. We use our senses, our eyes, and our ears. We look, we listen, we gather the facts, the information, and we decide, we judge, and we make plans based on what we see and hear. But Isaiah says that that usual human way of making decisions is merely superficial. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Now, my translation says at the beginning of verse 3, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. The reason my translation says that and that every English translation says something similar is because translators don't know what to do with what it actually says. There is no textual problem here. There's no Problem of transmission or uh, you know, a s- strange version of the text somewhere in ancient history, it's really clear, but people don't understand it or have not understood it. And so they've tried to translate it in a way that makes sense to us in the Western world. How does the branch from Jesse's stump? make his decisions. Well, verse 3a says this, literally from the Hebrew. His smelling, his sniffing, will be in the fear of the Lord. The Messiah will not judge by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear. The Messiah will judge by his nose. Now, how do we make sense of this? The verb for smell in Hebrew has the same root as another important Hebrew noun. And that Hebrew noun is probably known to some of you is the word ruach. And ruach means spirit. To smell in Hebrew has the same root. The Messiah will judge by the spirit. He will judge by smell. Now, the the result of the Messiah's smelling is wonderful. With righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. The poor, the meek, those who most need aid will receive aid from this just ruler. But he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. This ruler will overturn the normal way of things. He will turn the world upside down by judging for the the meek and uh, and the poor. Now, this is not the way we usually think about spiritual discernment, this idea of smelling for the poor, smelling for the weak or the meek. But it actually was the way we used to think about things in Western culture. We used to say, when we thought something wasn't quite right, I smell a rat. Or do you remember Hamlet? There's something rotten in Denmark. Uh, the rector tells me that that uh, lawyers still say about a particular argument, it doesn't pass the smell test. And actually, after the first service this morning, Bishop Richard, who's a bishop who was a, the retired bishop of Nelson, New Zealand, said to me that in Maori culture, when you are greeted by the Maori, you greet nose to nose. So yes, there are things in our cultures, maybe not as much in our Western culture as others, that help us to understand this idea of discernment on behalf of the poor and the meek. Well, that would be enough for me. It would be enough for me that the passage said that righteousness will be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins, that he will be the just and righteous king as Psalm 72, which we sang this morning, told us. But there's more. Isaiah goes on in the next verses to describe the kingdom which this king will bring. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. These verses are sometimes referred to as the vision of the peaceable kingdom. This is a vision of creation remade. Some see this as a return to the vision of the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, where there is no death, no corruption. Everything, everyone is living together in harmony and order. But there is a big difference between these verses and the Garden of Eden. In both places, in the Garden of Eden and in this Isaiah 11 vision, there are snakes. But in Genesis, the snake was dangerous. Something has changed. Now, I'm not fond of poisonous snakes. I have had encounter with adders and cobras or asps as they're called in the translation you have. They are not safe. They are quick, usually quite quiet. They are able to hide in the grass or in trees or in rocks and can attack quickly. And they are deadly. Puff adders actually kill more people in Africa than any other snake. Cobras will do it more quickly, but there just aren't as many of them. They are not the creatures that I would like to leave alone with children. I would not encourage a nursing child or a toddler, a weaned child, as our text says, to play near the homes of deadly serpents. But something has changed, says Isaiah, in the way the world is. And what has changed is from the coming of the Messiah. You see, the Messiah brings the kingdom. Now that leaves us with a bit of a problem. When I was in graduate school, there was a guy who used to take graduate seminars in New Testament with us. His name was Perry. Perry was a rabbi. And for some reason, he liked to take New Testament courses uh, to learn more about these important and interesting Jewish writings. But Perry was clear that he was not a Christian and was not interested in becoming a Christian. And his big stumbling block was this whole idea that Jesus was the Messiah. Impossible, he'd say, because if the Messiah had come, then the kingdom has come. And look out the window, he would say. That is not the kingdom. Or we could say, read the newspaper or watch the news on TV. That doesn't look like the kingdom certainly doesn't look like Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9. This did cause the early church some difficulties. They had to think about what this meant. What does it mean that the Messiah has come, that Jesus was clearly the Messiah, that the Spirit had been poured out, which is clearly something that is only supposed to happen at the end of time, And that Jesus rose from the dead. And again, resurrection is something that's only supposed to happen at the end of history. The Messiah, the Spirit, the resurrection have all happened. And yet things seem to be going on. Well, the early Christians said, and they're right, God has invaded our present with his future God has brought those future things, Messiah, Spirit, and resurrection into the present age. And so we live in this overlap, as Jonathan mentioned last week, between the kingdom which has already come and the kingdom which has not yet come. The kingdom has been inaugurated, but not completed Advent is about that anticipation of the completion of this kingdom that the Messiah has brought and will bring. One day, as it says at the end of verse 9, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One day, the world will be completely transformed. It's already been transformed, but one day it will be completely transformed we're going to confirm a couple of people at this service we confirmed six others in the first service confirmation is about the one of the things it's about is about equipping christians to live in this interim period between the two advents of christ between jesus first coming and his second And in that period, God has a mission for his church. And the mission has to do with the nations. Verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. You see, our task as the church is to point back to Jesus' first coming and to point forward to his second coming. Our task is to love the world so much in the power of the Spirit that the nations will want to know their Creator and their Redeemer, that the nations will inquire, that the nations will be curious to know why do they love each other so much. as hands are laid on candidates today, we will be praying that each one here uh, will be filled anew with the Holy Spirit. Not just those who are being confirmed, but that each of us would be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we, when we leave this place today, we will go in the power of God's Spirit, to love the world that God loves, to bring righteousness and justice to the poor and the meek, to bring good news to those who need, need to know about the coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago and soon, God willing. Confirmation is partly about knowing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and going forward from this place week after week to spread this good news of this root of Jesse, this one who came to bring new life to the people of Israel, but even more, to bring new life to the entire world. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you that you love the world so much that you sent Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Fill us with that same Spirit that we can witness to his love and his truth. For we pray in his name. Amen.